You're listening to Help Jamise Banks Change the World, a podcast produced by Whatever It Takes Consulting Incorporated. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Help Jamise Banks Change the World. I'm Jamise Banks, joined by my co-host, Thomas Griffin. But who's Jamise Banks? Well, Jamise Banks is an educator. Jamise Banks is an entrepreneur. Jamise Banks is a mom. Jamise Banks is a humanitarian. Why do I want to change the world? Because I have been blessed to have amazing friends and amazing opportunities. And I believe everybody should have those same opportunities. And so on the third Wednesday of every month, we're bringing to you people who are changing the world in their neighborhoods, in their communities, in their schools, in their classrooms. And we're excited to provide you with ways that you can make a difference in the world. Tell them a little bit about you, Thomas. Hi, everybody. My name is Thomas Griffin. I'm a former radio announcer in the city of Indianapolis, Indiana. I've worked at six different radio stations in a 47-year time period. Well, we want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is our inaugural show, and uh, we're going to do everything we can to help Jamise Banks change the world. So to show you exactly what we're talking about, we have a young lady. Her name is Amar Coleman, and she has an idea on what she can do to help change the world. She's only five years old, and she's going to talk to us about putting together something called diversity. Makes me feel that we can give books out to other people so they can learn about our history, too. Amor Coleman, a five-year-old, a kindergartner, an avid reader who was disappointed with the lack of representation she saw in the books she was reading in her class. Amor, along with her mother, decided they were going to raise awareness about the need for having characters in books that look like her and other people of color. Amor started a book drive, collecting books whose main characters were people of color. To learn how you can help Amor Coleman, go to our YouTube channel, HJB Change the World. And now to our special guest. Our inaugural guest on Help Jamise Banks Change the World is Nathaniel Turner. Who is Nathaniel Turner? Well, I could tell you that Nate is an educated man. He has a finance degree, he's ordained, and he has a JD. And he uses all of those things to change the world. I could tell you that Nathaniel Turner has a podcast and a TED Talk. And he uses every media outlet that he can to change the world. I could tell you that he's an accomplished author, and we're glad to have his latest book, which he co-wrote with his amazing son, Naeem, as part of our show today. My most famous book of Nate's, and my actual personal favorite, is Raising Superman. It's my favorite because Nate is vulnerable and talks about what it's like to be a parent and the goals and dreams that he has for his son. But the real reason that I asked Nate Turner to be our inaugural guest is because he is a humanitarian extraordinaire. 
To give you an example, he spends his holidays while the rest of us are sitting around a table, stuffing ourselves with greatness, walking the cities downtown in Indianapolis, giving food cards to the homeless. We were at an event where everybody was sticking a name on their chest. You know, I'm Dr. Banks. My name tag said Dr. Banks. What did his name tag say? It said, just a guy. Because that's how he sees himself, as just a guy who's here to make the world better. So please join me in welcoming Nate, just a guy Turner, here to help Jamise Banks change the world to tell us about his latest book. Welcome, Nate, and tell us, how can we imagine what's possible? Wow, Doc, I mean, we could just end it right there. Can I, can I, can I have a snippet of that and take that on the road with me? That's, that's uh, next. Yeah. Only the minutes. You that, only was, <laughs> that was like obituary. Uh, <laughs> final, final words, good. Um, no, seriously, thanks for having me, and, and uh, thanks, Thomas, for having me as well. Um, the Amazing World of STEM is the book that Naeem and I imagined some years ago. It's the book that we would want, we would have wanted him to read while growing up. And so we thought instead of waiting for somebody else to do it, we would do it ourselves. When you talk about your son, how old is he? When did you all decide to write the book? And how does that coordinate with what you're doing today? Sure, my son today is 25. He is a third year PhD candidate at Carnegie Mellon University in the School of Electrical and Computer Engineering. And um, when did we start imagining this book? Probably around the time I started imagining being a father. I mean, as Jamise mentioned, most everything I've done as it relates to him has been very intentional from backward designing his life to not naming him for eight days to having a village of people participating in naming him to creating a naming ceremony for him, to having a, a process for him once he turned 13 to recognize him as a full man, to never calling him boy, to calling him my MIT or man in training. Like everything we've ever done has essentially has led to this point. So Nate, there's an old adage that says, plan your work and work your plan. And I'm hearing you, you explaining how you planned out everything for your son. Where did you get that kind of knowledge or input or impetus to do that? So um, I, I didn't have a plan for me. I kind of still don't have a plan as clearly as clearly as his. Although I'm I, although I'm I've gotten much better. Uh, the reason that he has a plan is because my childhood was not very good, um, and I didn't want my son to suffer the same fate that I suffered. And I felt like there was a better way. I could be more organized and more disciplined about the approach. So we decided. If we imagine what our child's life would want to be, I mean, one of the things that I ask parents all the time, like, what are your hopes and dreams for your children? Most parents have no idea what their hopes and dreams are for their children. So before my son was born, I wrote down the things that I hoped and dreamt for him. And then once you do that, you have to say, okay, well, then how do we make those things become a reality? And the first thing that I did was write Harvard for an application. And because I wanted him to have a better academic uh experience than I did. I, the schools I went to are fine, but they weren't Harvard. And one of the things I know about this country is that we oftentimes um, believe people to be smarter based upon the institution they attended, even if they did. And we introduced them by the institution that they attended, right? So if Jamise, if I had gone to Harvard, Jamise would have perhaps said, 
here's a gentleman who is a Harvard Law graduate, but I went to Valparaiso, see, she didn't mention Valparaiso. So I wanted to say much to my, my when people when people said my son's name, that they would say, here's a young man who went to X institution. So we, we wrote Harvard for an application and we used the application from Harvard to then start to create this template for his life. So we're going to have to have Nate come back and talk to us in another episode because he and his wife, um, Dr. LaTanya Turner, have a parent engagement program that they do. Um, and so perhaps at some point we can feature that um, because I think that's a great one of those uh, things that Nate also does as a humanitarian. I sometimes tease him and call him the little old man that lives in the shoe because he talks with parents um, and students about how they can do the things that he has done um, for his son. And, and I know you've talked a little bit about your process, but say a little bit more about Naeem, because he's accomplished some amazing things as you all um, got to co-authoring this book. So, um, so right from the beginning, right, we, we, we wanted to make sure he met the, the application requirements of Harvard. So you don't have a child, he's not, this child's not here yet, you don't know what you're having, but then we started looking at the application and Harvard said they were looking for three things primarily, uh, students, what we call, who are intellectually ambitious, students who are globally and culturally competent, and students who they said care about something greater themselves, we call it humanitarian driven. And so his life has been formed around those three elements. And so from the very beginning, making sure he could learn to read and count as soon as possible. So by the time he's 18 months, two years, he's reading, he's doing simple math problems. He's also has learned how to speak Spanish by that time. He's now in a school, a three-year-old speaking Spanish and French. He's now fluent in four languages and conversational with two others. Uh, at 14, he started his own foundation. He ran track and was a, a national finalist, four-time junior Olympic finalist. Um, national runner-up. So we wanted to give him a well-rounded uh, life, and we did that through the template. So now I have a question on that. Yes, so if you were able to concentrate on one child, do you think if you had had more children, it would have been different? No, I think, would, see, the great thing about the template is that the template provides you with a, with a process. And I think anybody, if you have a process, it's like farming. You ask someone if they, if they farm one acre or if they farm 10 acres. If you have a process for farming, you can farm all 10 acres. If you don't have a process, then you're gonna have a problem. So we okay. have a process. Right. And, and we're doing that now, as Jamise mentioned. I, I have a guy daughter who's doing the same thing, testing in the top 1%. I got a, Jamise says I have a lot of children. I have a lot of God children. Yes, I'm, everybody's God father and uncle Nate. But mm -hmm. yeah, so I've got a bunch of kids who from, from the ages of, I don't know, four to the ages of, I just helped a young man get into uh, Notre Dame. I got a full ride to Notre Dame and we use the same sort of backward design process to get okay. him. So Jamise, did we want to concentrate on talking about the book or was there some other directions or subjects that you wanted to hit on? Well, I wanted to start with um, Nate and Naeem's story because the book is really what they imagine the world could be like, right? And so I felt like we needed to know a little bit about them um, as we now ask Nate to share with us what's in the book, right? Who is STEM? And right. what is this wood green? So STEM is, um, that's his nickname. His, his um, God-given name is Stuart Tyson Elmore Morgan. And Stuart Tyson Elmore Morgan is an amalgamation of four African-American scientists and engineers. Um, 
Yes. Um, Guy and Buford Stewart, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, St. Elmo Brady, and Garrett P. Morgan. Mm-hmm. And so those are those are those four men. I won't tell you what they did. I'll leave that for you to look it up. But we use those four men as the a way to come up with the to meet the acronym STEM. We want it to be uh, Black History Challenge, right? Black Can History you identify these four people? Can you identify these four people, yes. And so we wanted to give give uh, give him the name STEM because that's the direction that the planet is moving, much more focused around science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. But so few of the people involved in STEM look like us. And yeah. so we thought, since kids are are likely to call people by initials, we you know we BJ and MJ and Lil Wayne and Ice Cube and Ice T, et cetera. We thought, well, let's give them a name that when people say it, not only what they think about science, technology, engineering, math, they'll think about this little young African-American male. That's, that's great, that's great. When, when you said STEM, that's the first thing I thought about, science, technology, engineering, and math, and then you translated or coor- coordinated it, correlated it with, with those names, and that, man, I don't know what kind of genius you are, but that was a great, great idea. Now, I'm not, we were in DC in I think 2015, and I met someone from Scholastic Books, and I was sharing the, the first book I wrote, which was Raising Superman, and he, and he looked at the cover and thought it was a comic book. And he said, oh, did you write a children's book? I said, no, no, this is just a collection of letters that I wrote to my son. He says, well, do you have a children's book? And I said, no, and it dawned on me then that we should. And so Naeem and I start talking about it, and then and when he came home in April because of the pandemic, he said, yo, let's just finally, let's finally do this book we've been talking about. So we sat down and wrote the book, found an illustrator. She's, her name is Kiva uh, Richardson, and she lives in Baltimore. And we found Kiva, and, and every Tuesday at 3 o'clock, we hop on a call and work on the book. How long has the book been in existence? Where do you find the book? What are you hoping to get from releasing the book? So I believe we published the book on September 18th of 2020. Um, in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's available everywhere books are sold. Um, you can find it on, on my website, but you can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, Apple Books, et cetera. Uh, what do we hope to ha- happen? I, got, we, I try not to be outcome-oriented because that's, that's out of my hands. Mm. What I want to do is just from a process standpoint, write something that we thought was meaningful. Nine reminds me all the time that some some of the, the greatest authors, some of the greatest artists died penniless and nobody knew who they were. Star- and it wasn't starving artists. Starving yeah. artists. And then now we're reading their books and somebody else is making money or now we're admiring their art. So he said, you know, don't worry about that. I mean, this is a child telling me, let's not worry about, about the outcome. Let's just worry about the process. So the the hope is that you know people will read it and find it useful. Particularly parents of color will find it useful and, and see themselves and their children will see themselves in the book. And hopefully there'll be more kids who will be interested in STEM. Okay, well I'm gonna go another direction. Yeah. Jimmy, you chose to bring Nate on as your first guest on your first show. I what did. was the reason that you felt it was necessary to have him to kick off this uh, new, new broadcast that you're putting together? Um, so two reasons. 
Um, first, imagining what's possible, right? Um, oftentimes, if you're going to change the world, you have to be able to visualize it. You have to be able to see it. Um, and I think Nate's book, Nate and Naeem's book, really helps you be able to visualize. I don't care what age you are. I know it's supposed to be a children's book, but it gives you what the world could be like if we did the things we say we want to do. Um, and so if we're trying to change the world, we have to be able to visualize it. Um, but secondly, Nate and I um, saw a movie called um, Zubilation. Remember that book? Um, it was a diversity book, but it was mm -hmm. a cartoon. Um, mm -hmm. And there were animals that were living the kinds of diversity issues that we address in our society, but people can um, accept those things and process those things differently um, because it's a cartoon. And so as Nate shared with me, because I got to see the book before all the fabulous illustrations and hear his um, vision for the book and his dreams for the book, it hit me in that same way. And I actually have used things from the book because my company, Whatever It Takes Consulting, works in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. And I've actually used things from Nate's and Naeem's book in my diversity trainings. Um, and so I'm hoping Nate will share with us some of the aspects of his book that really are about imagining what's possible. Because uh, without uh, giving away like the whole story, but no, just no. sharing some of those aspects of the technology, of the ability to see where the world could be. Sure. I um, So as Jameez mentioned, during the day, I'm a financial advisor. And to be honest, there most of the time I'm I'm dissatisfied with the industry that I represent. I'm hugely dissatisfied because of the large amounts of wealth and income inequality that perpetuate this financial institution or this so-called economy that we live in. And it's right. an economy that leaves leaves large segments of the population out, regardless of the person's skin color. This, this economy, like 90% of people, 90% of stocks owned in this company are owned by 10% or fewer of the people in the country. Right. Um, African-American families have a net worth of $1,700. Latino families have a net worth of around $2,000. And so the question was, well, how do we change that, right? How, how do I get up every day and find a way to do what I do without being completely sickened by what it is that I do? Because I have a responsibility to my, to my family. So about... Four years ago, I met a nun, and this nun asked me, she challenged me to share with her what it was that I would imagine the world look like. And I said, I have this thing I want to do. It's called a nano community. And she was like, what is a nano community? Where do I find one? And I said, there's none that exist. And she said, so this is something you think we could do? And I said, yeah. So I would come back each week, and she would say, okay, next week your assignment is to come back and tell me more. And next week, can you show it to me? Can you give me something visual? And so what I end up doing is I end up creating creating a, a PowerPoint presentation to show what would be possible if people changed the way we spend our dollars. Not that we have to make any more money, but I took an Indianapolis family who has an average uh, rental cost of 700, I think it's $800 a month, and said, what might we be able to do for a family who can only spend $800 to, to live? And what we found was if we change the way we we live, the ch change the way we consume energy, change the way we uh, produce food, that that family in 30 years could have a, a net worth of over three million dollars. Okay, mm -hmm. you, you're right. gonna have to say I'm a going. little more. Like everybody's trying to figure out how to have a net worth of three million dollars. Right. So, 
so so I'm a guy that like my, my wife says, I go into the rabbit hole. I'll look for something and then I'll find something else and I'll keep looking and keep looking and keep looking. So 2008, one of my closest friends died. There's questions about how he died, but I'll just say he died. It left me very disturbed because I think one of the things that he was troubled with was his manhood and his lack of financial resources and what, what we're told men are supposed to do. And I wanted to figure out why, how could I have helped him? And so I thought, well, if we had this community that was a there was an intentional community, there was a community des designed so that all people, regardless of their income levels, could live in and live an abundant life, then I might have been able to save him. And so, so let me ahead. ask a real quick question. Yes, sir. So does is that communism one of those buzzwords that people are so scared about? Socialism. What ism is it? Yeah. I don't I don't know which it, I don't think it's communism like I don't think it's necessarily socialism although I think there's there's it's important that we live in mutually beneficial communities and even in this country has elements of socialism that we don't oftentimes like to talk about but right um I don't I didn't want to tell people in this community I was I didn't want to tell people that everybody had to have the same thing and there's only one color car and all that kind of stuff I just want to say listen if I could show you how to own your own home for $4,000, would you want to do it? If I could show you how to get off of the grid and create your own sustainable source of energy and never have to pay another utility bill, would you do it? If I could show you how to stop complaining about living in food deserts and show you how to grow your own fruits and vegetation in mass, would okay. you do it, right? So that's what the, what the community, the nano community represented. It represented 3D, 3D printed homes that could be constructed for as little as $4,000. It represented storage container homes that we could have done about $25,000 or $30,000. And this was four years ago. Today, we can do the same thing with about a 2,000 square foot home for about ten dollars or $15,000 with 3D printed homes. Mm. Um, we were looking at vertical gardens that would, would have essentially only used 10% of the water that we use today to farm, like just all kinds of incredible stuff that the United States and, and our and United States country companies do overseas. These are things they do in Africa. These things they do in India. These are things they do where they're so-called emerging markets. But the emerging markets that are right here, where people who are living the same marginalized life, we don't do that. So we just thought, what if we did those things here for the people here? And that's and that's what this community where STEM lives is called Wood Green, which is a, a, a homage to Greenwood, right? To Greenwood Tulsa and Black Wall Street, right? So, so can you say just a little bit more without telling, uh, giving away the story yeah. about how Wood Green is a nano community? Yeah, so Wood Green is, is as we described, all of the homes are 3D printed homes. There are no uh, fossil fuel vehicles driven through the community. In fact, nobody owns a car in the community. Um, the, the community is a community of shared transportation. There's no need to own a car. 97% of the time that we own our vehicles, our vehicles sit idle. So people spend four or $500 a month with insurance, et cetera, with a vehicle that you don't use, but three to 5% of the time. And we just thought, well, that's, that's a waste, especially for people who don't have any resources to waste. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's, a, it's, a share, it's a shared community like that. You know, I hear you talking about the cars and automobiles, and, and one of the things that I know stands out in my mind is life choices. And oh. what I'm hearing you say is you, you're creating a book 
that people can reference. Hopefully they can use that book as a template to right. kind of guide their own lives to make better decisions. Yeah. yeah. Yep. 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 That's and, and the and the, com the community does is it eliminates the perhaps the need to make bad choices. Mm -hmm. We only have good choices. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. So if you don't have if there's a community that has nothing but fresh fresh fruits and vegetables, you can no longer say I need potato chips or right a, a soda because everybody in the community is eating fresh fresh fruits. I mean, it's available to us, which is the thing we say we can't get in our, our community. If nobody's owning a car, there's no pressure to have a car better than anybody else because the, the cars of the community are available to everybody. Well, you so, know, when you say that, here's what always pops in my mind. When we do technology, whenever we make improvements, mm. those improvements always hurt or sometimes could hurt another industry. So mm -hmm. with, with your idea... Would you be putting people out of work, creating jobs? Uh, kind of give me how that how that works, at least in your brain. Sure. Yeah, that's a dangerous place to be. <laughs> so, so again, right, uh, thinking about things from a, from from a factual and scientific basis. In 2014, 2014, 2016, uh, the OECD uh, wrote a, which is the Organization for Economic Cooperative Development wrote a document about the future of jobs. And in that document, it said, in America, as an example, 57% of the jobs that exist could go away overnight, and America would not need them. It said that at any point in time, 37 million to 73 million jobs in this country are going to be eliminated. Okay. It said that in the United States, there's this thing called um, zero funding, and we're quickly getting to the point where any state college or university will no longer get revenue to help fund the school from this from its own state so mm -hmm. some states like colorado have already moved to zero funding they don't fund the university of colorado they don't fund colorado state and the question is who does that hurt the most and when those schools have those funding issues the very first thing that they do is they eliminate the degrees for which most of us get our education Right. right. Most of us get degrees in social science. Let's get degrees in education and psychology and social, all valuable things. But the schools are not paying for them anymore because we have moved to another to a globalized technological society. So in this community is focused on STEM is to make sure that the children in the community are prepared for this changing landscape. Not that they have to be. You don't have to be an engineer, but to make sure that you equip should you desire to be an engineer, you can right. be an engineer, right? And that's that's what we're that's what we're looking to do. Well, that's what we're hoping is shown through the story. So before we run out of time, because I'm getting that cue, you know, right. those producers in time, um, I want to go back a little bit to the diversity because that's one of the things that stuck out to me first um, in your story. The mayor is a woman. They're religious. Um, representations in the book. There are all kinds of aspects of diversity. And in this time when now everyone has their Black Lives Matter statement and um, equity is everywhere, um, can you say a little bit about how that appears in the book? Yeah. So I wanted to represent everyone because I, I believe, and it's not my, my belief, obviously uh, there's a belief that race is a social construct. And most of us should focus perhaps more on the sort of caste system that we live in, as right. opposed to always focusing 
on one's skin color. And I thought it was important to show that I, that we see the world differently and that all people are welcome in this community, not just people who just look like you and me and Jamise. Right, yeah. And Jamise knows me long enough to know that, like I've said to people when we talk about diversity, I say, I talk about humanity. Like you all can have, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to talk about diversity, but what I can talk about is is humanity, mm-hmm. and 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 so that's what we try to represent through the book. Well, I, I have one last question, Jamise, and I don't know if we're going to wrap up after oh, this. You go ahead. But- you go ahead. We want to get everything we can get out of Nate, so people can help Jamise Banks change the world. So you go ahead with your question. When when you do these books, or when you did this book, uh, and you see the how it's received, you see what our society is doing currently. Do you ever get mad or frustrated? Uh, uh, I know the answer to that. Yeah, yeah I'm routinely frustrated. <laughs> I'm routinely frustrated. I live I live in a world of frustration. Yes, I'm, I'm frustrated a lot. Um, okay. But but I remember that, you know, I taught this child and who now reminds me that frustration is because I'm outcome oriented. Mm-hmm. And if I stop worrying about the future and just be present, then the frustrations are much less. I mean, I, I can mitigate the frustrations. Okay, that sounds like proud papa talk. <laughs> he has a lot to be proud yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that dude is my best friend. And I don't know where, I, I mean, he's he's been as good for me as I could have been for him. Probably, Fantastic. I would say better. Yeah. Yeah, that is. All right, Jameez. So as we wrap up, um, you know, this is, we're changing the world here. So if you could just give one or two things um, that just a guy type people like you and I um, could do to change the world, what would you suggest? So can I can I talk a little bit about what I do every morning as a way to help change the world? Absolutely. So Jamise knows, excuse me, for about the last two years, I've journaled my life. Not, not what happened, but what I'd like to happen. I journal my best life. Every day I spend the first 14 minutes to 30 minutes um, just stream of consciousness writing about what I'd like my life to be. Today I was on the beach and it was too hot. Um, <laughs> so and then, uh, <laughs> then a publicist sent me on a, on an all-expense-paid trip to a, a publisher to a, to a beach to Jamaica, and, and it was hot. And then I talk about other things while I'm there, but that's, that's an example. For the last two years I've done that, and I've done that because when nine was younger to help him to stop focusing on the moment or the future would be to get him to journal. And so I learned that by teaching that to him. So I would encourage people to take time each day, the first eight to 14 minutes of your day. Don't talk to anybody, get out of bed, brush your teeth. If you're right-handed, do it with your left hand, do it with the opposite hand. If you start walking with the right foot, walk with the left foot, because what you want to do is you want to stimulate your brain and I want you to just go sit quietly for eight or 14 minutes and just write down what it is you want out of that day, what it is you want out of your life. It, it, it's it's going to seem difficult. Eight minutes or 14 minutes writing about your future is going to be challenging. But the fact that it's challenging should tell you there's a problem. Mm, yeah. Because I like you that. Can't, yeah. right? If you can't dream big about your life, then who can? And if you're not, then somebody else has a plan for you. And I promise you, it's not nearly as good as the one you could dream about. Well, what I was going to say is, Jamise, we need to probably start writing that down. Every <laughs> time we ask a guest about what they like to have, uh, I would like to be able to write that down and we can reference it. 
<laughs> yeah, that would be great. Um, so I think we're uh, out of time. I'm getting that cue. We're out of time. But we want to thank Nate Turner for being here with us today. Hope you've heard some things that you can apply. I feel like I need to go sit someplace right now for 8 to 14 minutes um, and write some great things down. We will have Nate's information on our YouTube channel and our Facebook channel so that you can buy his books and exercise his philosophies, change your parenting, but most importantly, so that you can help Jamise Banks change the world. Thanks, Nate, for being with us today. I'm serious about we're going to probably need to circle back to you because there's a whole bunch, bunch more we can learn um, about how we can change the world for everybody around us. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. My pleasure. I look forward to it. You know that look. That means, oh my God, I didn't know Nate was going to be such a great guest. So this was our very first show, and I think that he had a lot of information. So, Jamise, what do we have coming up for next month? Yeah, Nate is amazing, and I'm even more excited about next month. So people can join us the third Wednesday of the month when our guest will be none other than Howard Ross, who has done diversity, equity, and inclusion training for companies like Starbucks and Microsoft. So join us the third Wednesday and help Jamise Banks change the world. You've been listening to Help Jamise Banks Change the World, a podcast produced by Whatever It Takes Consulting Incorporated.